Hey, this is Dave McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. And this week, we're joined by my friend, Mark Hoffmeyer, a three-time returning guest. Mark is with Movies, Films, and Flicks. He's got one of the number one podcasts on the movie industry on the net. He's a writer for Rotten Tomatoes, among many other credentials. We talk tech. How is AR and VR impacting the industry? Is there an industry? What does it look like going forward? How is streaming impacting the industry? And also some tidbits that he's learning about some of the recent releases and his research. I know you'll love the conversation. So join us for it on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. How we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. All right, three, two, one, Mark Hoffmeyer. My most frequent return guest. Welcome back to the program. I got to say, the third timer lounge that you set up with the <laughs> smart water, the cookies, the donuts. I mean, uh, the Nespresso machine. It's a luxury, and you know, I can't. I can't. What's the fourth timer come? Like, what's that room look? I like? I think we're gonna give away tablets or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, cool. Or uh, they've got to hide the cookies though. <laughs> they, got, they let the guests come in and eat them. I've just started this new. Uh, I think I kept telling myself, I see pictures before we had kids about 25 years ago. Um, my wife and I just hit 35 years. So we've got this 10 years of 11 years of just the two of us. She's half Japanese, half Irish, uh, pretty beautiful uh, gal. And uh, I'm ex airborne. And here we, you know, not like super uh, built, but just lean kind of, of those early days. And we were too poor to, uh, you know, really indulge in anything. Then we had kids. My career started to take off, and we had kids. And all of a sudden, I blew up like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And no. so for the last, you know, 20 years, I said, ah, I'm going to get back to And I will have moments of getting lighter for a little while. But a bunch of my friends started this program. I, I'm going to script the name. I think it's called Octavia or something like that. They started last summer. And, Mark, they're, they, they look like different people. Hmm. And they... It's so easy for them. So I was like, well, then some other friends of mine started towards the end of the year. Then uh, really close personal friends of mine started about uh, a month ago here. My sister, my wife, my brother-in-law. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Um, I'm on day two. So if I get a little <laughs> uh, snappy. Oh, the other thing is you have to drink a lot of water. I like hey. to drink coffee or hot tea, but I haven't been in the habit of drinking a lot of water. I have this 40 gallon I'm jealous of that jug. thing. That's a good looking jug right there. Somebody gave it to me. One of my British friends, I think they're trying to tell me something. One of the things I've learned is don't drink a third of that just before you go do an hour and a half podcast <laughs> because you'll be, uh, you'll be antsy, but yep. Yeah. So what's going on with your world? You've had some uh, changes since the last time we talked. Yeah, it's been wild. Uh, you know, we're talking about diets. My diet's just staying away from crumble cookies because <laughs> I discovered those recently and they're uh, they're unbelievable cookies, just the cookies at the bottom of the bag. Oh, I'll eat those too. <laughs> uh, every week they change their menu and like, oh my gosh. And I looked at the nutri uh, nutritional facts of them one time. It was a horrible idea, but yeah. that's like my diet is yeah. just not eat crumble cookies. Those are. That's hilarious. Oh my I'm gosh, not much so of good. a sweet tooth. I'm more of um, savory. So I'll go second helpings of savory and dirty water. Dirty water. I sit there, <laughs> I sit there sipping on that all day. That's uh that's my, my biggest vices. So we'll see how it goes kind of leaning out on that. But I got to get back in this third timer lounge. You had a treadmill in there, a Peloton. <clears throat> yeah. I got my workout in before this. I've, one of the things I've learned with Peloton is 
they really don't want you to argue with the instructors. Evidently, you're just supposed to buy into the cult of Peloton and just get in and nod your head like you're one of the meeples. And yes, they really don't like, is that outfit really becoming? Should we really do this? Is that a good destination? (laughs) Do you have a new playlist? Yeah, something else. You got something from Fog Hat. Fog Hat, absolutely. That'd be great. Some uh, Fog Hat, Deep Purple. Yeah, we're going way back. Some Ario. Um, let's, now you're starting to get into, well, I suppose if you start off with, you can tune a fish, but not a piano, yeah. uh, late seventies, uh, little hair. So, uh, how's the podcast doing? How's your podcast doing? Oh, uh, it's doing great. Uh, it's number one in Peru right now. Number four in Spain. Uh, we've cracked the top 20 in probably 65 countries. That's just amazing. Do, uh, actually ranker. Uh, an article just came out. We're one of the t- most popular podcasts on Ranker. Like I think over a hundred thousand votes. Yeah. We're in the top ten of that. Yeah. So yeah, movies, films, and flicks. It's moving on. Like it's just a scrappy little podcast that could. And remind people what your um, sort of your your shtick is because you've you've got a unique one. Oh gosh. Okay. So I guess it's three things. I worked in the industry for many years, right. so I bring a wealth of knowledge. I've stood and drank coffee on every set you could imagine. Right. right? Also, I'm, I like I'm super positive. I, I think that it's too easy to insult film. It's right. too easy to do that. So you know, we we cover films and we have a good time. We talk about it. We find right. the positives. And third, I, I'm a researcher. Right. And so we always bring in some interesting data about it. So you know, wealth of knowledge, positivity, and you're going to learn something. Like I want people to. No one's going to have like the biggest gut laughs ever. Like right. this isn't just someone That's crying in the car. I have laughed yeah. and laughed. <laughs> I go back to the first one I ever heard from you guys, which was picking your fantasy football team from oh yeah 80s um comedies and fincher movies yes <laughs> and my all-time favorite i thought it was going to be rosamund pike from gone girl but it wasn't it was johnny from karate kid and your reasoning was i forget which of the two of you picked it but the reasoning was he's got the good looks and the surface charm to attract the soccer moms or whatever <laughs> you know one group of people but he's really diabolical. And so when he's out there on the line and he's doing those plays, you know, when he drives someone to the ground, he's going to crack their knee or he's going to, you know, he's going to give them that last little shim before he gets up, but he's not going to get the personal foul. He's going to be able to pull it off. You know, they're going to swing at him. And so, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. He'll get in people's heads. He'll make a lot of people mad. Yeah. You know? But no, I really appreciate that. We So we try to make people laugh and also walk away learning something because I listen to podcasts sometimes and it's a movie podcast, and let's say they're talking about Gone Girl. Right. And they're like, oh, who's the actress that plays Gone Girl? And like, you don't know the name of the character. Right. You don't know Amy Dunn, and then you don't know it's Rosamund Pike. Right. And I just feel like that's a total waste of my time. Right. And there's 2.7 million podcasts out there, according to Listen Notes. And wow. I'm in the top 2.5%. That makes yeah. me happy. That but should be. There is, I mean, it's such a crowded field that I'm honored that people spend their time listening to it. Right. So that's why I want to bring a good product. I want to research. I want them to leave knowing something. I, they don't need, I don't, I don't want them to hear my opinion. Like, right. Hey, this movie's good. This movie sucks. Like, right. I don't, that's not me. I'd, I'd rather do some digging. And also if I know that the conversation has been focused too much on a movie, like we just did an episode of the prestige. Right. Everyone talks about, no, we kind of went another area and tried to talk about other things about it that we like liked. What? Well, you know, everyone's talking about how like Nolan with the plot points and the three acts and like remind this is, people who might not have seen it what oh, the, so yeah the uh, 2006 film it was shot between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight directed by Christopher Nolan stars mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman Scarlett Johansson Rebecca Hall Christian Bale a, a plethora Michael Caine of right. excellent actors right David Bowie right 
and it's about these two magicians who just essentially go to war to become the best magician. And right. through that process, clones are created. Right. But so many people talk about just the Nolan, the, the three-act structure. We just talked more about it's shot like a very modern-day film. So I think it's very rewatchable because it's not, you know, hey, chap, like, you know, like, it's not Downton Abbey. It's like they're not drinking tea. Right. They're not, like, it's just very modern. Right. It, it feels like now, but in the late 1800s. Right. And also... We just talked about how it's one of the more rewatchable Nolan films, one of the more traditional ones. It's just dueling magicians. It has a nonlinear plot. I mean, the, right. the, the script is all over the... like. It, it's a very intricate script, but it's also very straightforward and right. how it's just two magicians going to war. Right. So we just try to cover different, different aspects of it that we enjoyed. Right. Because you know, everyone loves Nolan. He, he, everything about Nolan is time. He mm -hmm. loves dealing with time. Mm -hmm. And so I think when the conversation is really focused on that, I want to find something else to talk about, give mm -hmm. someone something else to think about in regards to the film. So I really enjoyed that episode. What in, like when you're coming up with ideas, do you, listeners suggest them to you or do you sit around with a little brain trust to say, hey, what about this? So I, I have to record, edit, release, uh, drop it. So I, I, I like to cover movies I like mm -hmm. or, the, or if I have a guest, if I have frequent guests on and they love a movie, let's talk about that. Right. So it's, I have no game plan. Right. I'm rarely topical. Mm -hmm. I very rarely release movies right after they're in the theaters because mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough research to talk about them and you're just giving your immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. That's what gets you the views. Right. But my most popular episodes, like I did a Never Back Down episode, an MMA movie based in Florida. That was one of my most popular episodes of last year. <laughs> uh, the year before it was The Dead Don't Die, a Jim Jarmusch film that didn't do well in theaters. So I have a really interesting audience who... They don't really care about the Avengers and all that stuff. Right. They want to hear about other movies that are underserved. Right. So I do try to look up, you know, Drop Dead Gorgeous, a 1999 film that I think was really uh, not appreciated, or Gross Point Blank from right. 97. Right. I, I just like to cut, like, They Live, or the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. I mean, right. Beverly Hills Cop in 1984 was the highest grossing film. Yeah. And people don't really talk about it that much. It was a game changer. Right. So I like to cover movies like that. Yeah. yeah. I Reminds me of um, this idea. What? movie if you're thinking of movies had for example had a-list actors and really just didn't make much of a splash but it's an excellent movie so for example one of those for me would be the score i was just telling my buddy about it the other day i said hey um have you seen this movie it had marlon brando um had ed norton had robert de niro had um angela Bassett. huge guest it, it, it's a subtle movie. It's not going to be, uh, you know, I don't think it was Oscar worthy, obviously. But it was a, I thought it was a great, very straightforward story with a great little twist at the end that I love. Um, and he'd never heard of it, didn't know what I was talking about. What, how often does that happen? Or what are some of the movies that come to your mind in that area? I guess one of the problems, I, I love the score too, because I was a huge Norton fan. Uh -huh. uh, I was a big Brando fan. And also you got to love De Niro. I right. mean, when I grew up, like Bronx Tale was one of my favorite movies ever made. Right. I, I absolutely adore that film. But I think the problem with the score is it's just perfectly adequate. It's fine. Yeah. It's good. Right. And it, there's nothing that's going to, I, I hate when people say this about movies, because how often do movies change the world? But it was just a Frank Oz directed film that was supposed to be fun. Right. But it had the cast. Right. So I think a lot of people watched it expecting like a primal fear uh, or like a, you know how he got known for like yeah. that kind of performance, but it's just good. Right. And so that's maybe why I think the score hasn't had that long of a life mm. is where it's, it's just good. Yeah. Does but that make sense? Did, but people didn't even, it's not just that people say, oh yeah, I saw that. That was good. 
Yeah. Like most of the people that I ask about it, they'd never seen it. They didn't even know what I was talking about. Do you want to know a movie that I think was grossly underwatched in 2021? And that was The Last Duel. Ridley Scott directed it. Yeah. Oscar winner Ben Affleck. Oscar winner Matt Damon. Adam Driver, who's going to win Oscars. Right. He's amazing. Jodie Cormer, who's uh, she's won Emmys, Golden, Golden Globes from Killing Eve. Amazing performances. Yeah. That movie was very like largely ignored right. this year. And that's really disappointing because... I, I he Scott borrowed a page from uh, Kurosawa. I know I know Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote it, but it's a three act movie. So mm-hmm. you get you get the 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 perspective of Damon, then the perspective of Driver, then the perspective of Cormer, mm-hmm. and it's a movie that you have to think. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it and absorb and think. Mm-hmm. And there were elements of it that people hated, but they didn't think about it. And mm-hmm. I think that cost a lot of people from going to go see it. Then Ridley Scott said millennials didn't want to watch it. That really kind of killed it. Right. But now. People are watching and going, hey, this is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that was really underwatched in 2021. That was a movie that I th- I think – I walked out of him like, this is excellent. This mm-hmm. is an excellent film. But it, this sounds bad. It requires some thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, I, it's in my queue uh-huh. uh, just because of the actors um, and Ridley Scott. So it's in the queue. But so many things competed for my time yeah. this year. Um, we the only movie we saw that I think of in 2021 in the theater was the um, Spider-Man movie, and we almost didn't go because a number of people that my kids knew said, "Nah, it's not that good." We loved it. I wonderful. Film. I buy into the whole shtick. I don't care. I thought it was excellent all the way around, um, and everybody in my family uh, loved it. But that's the only one I went to see in the theater. But dual, yeah, it's in the queue. But if it's competing on the small screen, if I'm not compelled to go to the theater, I'm probably going to watch the yeah. Wheel of Time or 1883 or you know whatever is Yellowstone, on Ozark. I mean, Yellowstone, all the yeah. stuff that's out right now. Yeah. yeah, and and the other thing is is that a lot of stuff, almost everything that we watch at home. If I'm going to the theaters, my wife's like, "Yeah, go on with kids, friends." Sometimes she'll go depending upon the movie, but she's she's not much of a go to the movie person. Never has been. I am. So if it's a watch at home show, um, it has to, f- usually it has to fit both of our, and she's a Star Wars, Star Trek. She's a sci-fi person. Mm-hmm. So we Kung watch Fu a lot Hustle. of that. Kung Fu Hustle. She's a Kung Fu Hustle. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, so duels on the list is just not high on the list, but uh, it's good to know that it's worth watching. It's, 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 it's tough though, because it's, it, People are like, it's the same movie three times. And that's untrue because mm. it, it subtly shifts to Jodie Cormer's. And she's kind of in this world where it's based on The Last Duel where uh, you know, Matt Damon, uh, he's married to Jodie Cormer. She's assaulted by Adam Driver's character, and it's based on the duel they have. Mm. And if Matt Damon loses, she gets burnt on the stake for mm. accusing a man of that. Like, that's like if Damon won, God willed it. And right. so that meant that God was for him. Right. That was that last duel in right. France. So it's it's just a very interesting watch. And also, Soderbergh came out with a movie too. I, I can't think of the name. It's killing me. But it has Benicio Del Toro, Don Cheadle, Matt Damon, Brendan Fraser. Oh, a wow. huge cast. It's on HBO Max now. That really wasn't watched this year. But. I I don't even know which movie you're talking about. And I love all those people. In fact, I was just saying to somebody the other day, where's Brendan Fraser? He's he's making a comeback. He's 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 he's, he's going to be in a, a a new Fincher movie, I believe, an Aronofsky movie. Uh, they're talking about him for TV shows, so he's he getting was his one of back. our family's favorite actors. The best. ten or twelve years ago, we just loved him. And 
whatever, romantic comedy, you know, serious kids movie, whatever. We really thought very highly of them. The Mummy. The Mummy. Beautiful movie. Yeah. It, it just, um, how interesting is that? So, so uh, the last duel, you can't think of any other, um, any in history that you can think of that might have uh, not gotten the attention it deserved? It was funny. We were talking about that. You kind of sent me some questions. We were, we were thinking about what to talk about. And I, I started thinking about, this is a little bit different, but I kind of went towards the A-list stars that are appearing in direct-to-DVD movies that oh, nobody yeah. watches. Like? So Bruce Willis, uh, he just got nominated for his own category at the Razzies. So he, I think he's up for 10 <laughs> movies for Worst Actor. Right now he is, uh, I just got a screener from Saban Films. He has a new movie coming out with Luke Wilson and Devin Sawa. So I got to watch that because <laughs> I'm curious. Right. But he, he right now is making the, uh, Nicolas Cage went through this period too, where there are these, these worldwide distributors they get Nick Cage in a movie. He shoots for two weeks. He gets $5 million. Right. Bruce Willis shows up, acts for a week, acts totally disinterested. Right. They put his face on it, call it Cosmic Sin, and it reaches top 10 on Netflix. Right. So it's, I, I kind of took it that way where these A-list stars now with so much content out there, they're getting paid two, $3 million for two weeks worth of work. Right. And they can phone it in. Right. All they want. So I was thinking about that. And there's a new movie coming out called The Comeback Trail, which was supposed to come out in 2020, got delayed to 2021. But it's Tommy Lee Jones, Robert De Niro, and Morgan Freeman. Wow. Yeah, but they just keep pushing it back. And I watched it, and I, I know why they're pushing it back. Right. It's, not, it's not good. It's not. <laughs> and so you want to know A-list stars in, in good movies that were underseen. But for me, I, I kind of thought about the A-list stars who are appearing in movies now that are just so easy to get paydays for. Right. And then they get inter, uh, international distribution, and then they just – they're bad. Well, it they're feels really like bad. there's no – I mean, it occurs to me that what's the consequence – of being in the, you know, uh, a category and one of the review sites that says, meh, this isn't great. You know, um, one, I th it feels like to me 10 years ago, you know, if, if you, if you're Ed Harris or if you're Bruce Willis or you're whatever, well, that's actually two different categories. One's a really good character actor and the other is a, you know, leading guy. But if you, if you do not your art house film that you've all, you know, that you've kept in your back pocket that you really wanted to do, you don't care what anybody says, but you're pouring your heart and soul into it, whether the script was great or not, but you acted your pants off and you really invested in it. Not all of those work, but it's a labor of love. Mm -hmm. um, and, and every, you know, I feel like in the past people give you a nod. Like if you, if you missed one of those, it's your labor of love or it's, you know, your shout out and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Um, but you get an opportunity to do other things or to slowly, gently fade into, you know, supporting roles or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, now it doesn't feel, they like have no fear. There's, there's so many organizations out there that will put you in. You just, you know, you're going to get paid a couple million bucks. You do that once or twice a year. That's not a bad gig if you can get it. Yeah. Um, certainly gets the tax man off of Wesley Snipes back or, exactly. you know, Nick, Nick Cage. Cage. He can sell his diamond. He can buy his T-Rex skull back. But look at Nick Cage. Um, Pig. In Amazing. I don't know if you saw it yet. Pig? I, I just interrupted you. But 2021, uh, I'm part of the Georgia Film Critics Association. We gave him Best Actor for that for, movie. For Pig? Yeah. We cried. I, we thought it was going to be one movie. Like, taken. You know, get We thought back. it was going to be that. It was so wasn't. It was so subtle and so beautiful. And beautiful. it ended so abrupt. But in a, when we thought about it afterwards, we're like, I loved how that ended. Like, I didn't expect that ending. Like, it just to be, okay, well, there you go. And that's it. And it was, um, 
It was I we th- we were like this is Nick Cage. This is the Nick Cage we fell in love with. Now we also loved Nick Cage and his uh, National Treasure movies. We don't care. We we love it's especially great. the first one. Very was, earnest. His performance right. is perfectly earnest. Yeah. Um, and then we're waiting to see the one, um, I don't think it's released yet, the new one where um, he's he goes to the island, he's been hired to go there. What, which one is that? The incredible weight of something. Being, yeah, the, some, being one of the, earnest yeah. or something like that. That like, we, I, I hope I'm not disappointed by that, but it looks completely believable. Like he's playing on that image of, yeah, man, I just need to, almost like we were talking about, I need a payday. I just mm-hmm. need to cash something in. Well, I'm just going to go do whatever. It's perfectly sarcastic, and we're looking forward to that one. I just came up with two new movies that have A-list cast but okay. were ignored. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Never saw uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, it was shot by Roger Deakins, one of the greatest cinematographers alive. It's one okay. of the best-looking westerns. Brad Pitt is excellent in it. Okay. And then Burn After Reading by the Coen Brothers. Have you watched that? Brad Pitt. George yeah, Clooney told yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah. It's it, weird. Uh, that took me a while. I think sometimes, Mark, with movies like that, at least for me, we go in thinking it's going to be one thing. And when it's so different than it, it takes a while for our brains to catch up. And we're halfway through. We're like, this, is, this isn't pudding. This is curry. Yeah. And it's not that the curry's bad or doesn't. Our tongue showed up ready for this thing. And we're, you know half on fire in this other thing burn after reading for sure was one of those for me my biggest snafu ever was um i saw brad pitt on the bill and i was like oh you know this will be a this will be a great movie you know i think it's just after legends of the fall might been just before but brad pitt was a name certainly from thelma and louise and um morgan freeman was in it i was like oh this is gonna be awesome we sit down in the theater. It was date night. We sit down in the theater, pre-kids. So I had high hopes for a great date night. It was seven. <laughs> it's a good date night movie. <laughs> my my wife is still traumatized. She cannot see a picture of Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow in the same picture without, you know, it starts off with Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails screeching in the beginning of the movie. And it was, and we were like yelling at the end of the movie, don't look at the box. You're, you can't don't even give it. her boxes anymore. Because Ugh. of that movie. Yeah. So um, that's exactly right. That is not a date night movie. Yeah. We learned afterwards. I, I you know, need to do more research. But you think Burn After Reading. Yeah. Burn, the, uh, the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Uh, okay. Roger Deacon shot it. It's one of the best looking movies you'll ever see. But okay. not many people watch it because it's three hours long. Right. And it's very meditative. Okay. And I can't recommend it to everybody, but I absolutely recommend okay. that. Yeah. We'll check it. Let's see that one. Um, what are some of the themes that are getting the comments on your, in your podcast, what are the, what are people responding? Not necessarily movies, but man, they really like when I dig out minutia about a major actor or actress, or I I wax poetic in a particular area. What what do you think is really catching their imagination? Ninety five percent of the time, it's the positivity. Uh, so mm. people send me messages of someone who listened to it, and like a, they'll share me a screenshot of a review, right. where they're just saying like, "I just want to talk with like I, I would love to talk with Mark. He right. seems like someone I would want to talk to movies about." Right. Hopefully, I don't sound like I'm bragging. I'm actually telling you the right. the things that yeah. I got. But no, people seem to really like the positivity. Uh, we give movies a chance too. When when most people look at movies, they just want to hate on them, right? right. And that's fine. I'm just not wired that way, right. but I know that people have built immense success doing that, and there's a lot of creativity and and excellent public speaking that goes along with that. Right. But I just I'd rather talk 
about why we like a movie. Or I'd rather take a movie and, and break down what's good about it or why people didn't appreciate it. Because I do think expectations, I've been having a very hard time with expectations mm. uh, in cinema because I watched the movie Black Widow mm. and I, w I want it to be more about Scarlett Johansson because she's an Oscar nominated uh, actor. Right. She has been in the MCU for years, never really got her due. Right. And Black Widow is more about Florence Pugh, David Harbour. And mm. so that went against my ex expectations and I immediately kind of recoiled. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, that's not the movie's fault. That's what I right. wanted. And I can't put what I wanted onto a movie. Right. And so I've been, I've been kind of dealing with a lot of expectations lately about how is it the movie's fault if it doesn't meet your expectations? Mm -hmm. Like I know studios, uh, the movie yesterday, they're getting sued because they showed Anna de Armas in the trailer and she wasn't in it. Uh, the movie Drive had a very cheery trailer, but it's one of the bleakest things you'll ever watch. Mm. And they got sued because of the trailers made people expect one thing or the other. But I guess what I'm talking about is, like, this is what I want. And if it's not what I want, I don't like it. Right. And there's a lot of people who are that way. Right. So I've been really processing that. And I know that that goes completely off the question about what people appreciate. But I guess for me is a lot of people walk into a movie expecting something. And if it's not what they want, they don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think we like exploring movies that suffered from that and explaining, like, this is why it's good. This is why you should watch it. This is why you should give it a second chance. Because... I love auteurs. Mm -hmm. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm -hmm. I love Park Chan-wook. I love Bong Joon-ho. I love uh, Jane Campion. I think they're all auteurs. I think they're all excellent directors. But I also love Paul W.S. Anderson, who made the Resident Evil movies. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who puts common, two commentaries on every movie he does. And I love that. Rennie Harlan, who did Deep Blue Sea Cliffhanger. Right. I think he's an action director extraordinaire. Right. But people want to – people call them like uh, trash auteurs. Right. But these are people who have been making movies for 25 years with – quite diverse casts making original films. I don't see how that they're not making a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. They're not making licorice pizza. They're right. making a movie about zombies eating people. So right. you just got to look at what you're going into, what you're watching. And I like to have a good, like I like to, if you love, I love movies. Mm -hmm. So that means I need to understand movies. Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand everything about it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I'm not very, I'm very inclusive. Mm -hmm. And I think people enjoy that. I think so too. I just talked a lot about myself. No, I love it. Oh. It's uh, I, I, one of the best parts of your podcast. No disrespect to you, is the guest commentators that you bring on, mm -hmm. including your beautiful bride. Um, who is the one that I comment on? That Norbert. I, Norbert. Yeah. Good lord, He's I a maniac. love Norbert. <laughs> funny, funny, funny. Um, one of the things that I like is um, well, let me back up. First, comment on sort of your experience. You know, obviously, movie making is a form of art, right? It's an expression of art and creativity. And there have been a number of times when I've gone to, um, whether it's a gallery or a movie or whatever, read a, read a comic or a book or something, and, and I'm expecting to embrace art. And I have in my mind, one, what I, my expectation of what my experience is going to be, because I'm looking forward to it. And, um, and two, what I think of is art. And there are plenty of times when I've gone to a gallery, maybe not the whole exhibit, but certainly parts of it, I'm like, this isn't art. No, that's technically not true. The skill at which it took to create whatever it is that I'm looking at, the sculpture, the painting, the ceramic, whatever, is beyond the capacity of most people. Very, very few people could do it. Now, it may be uh, what some people would call obscene, or it might be 
disconcerting to my eye or music sometimes is like that. <clears throat> we, we'll hear a, we'll hear a, a beat or a soundtrack or a whatever like that. What is that noise? What's that screeching? Said my dad, everything other than Glenn Campbell, John Denver and the Carpenters, right? <laughs> Dad, that's, you know, that's not, whatever, that's... That's Foghat. That's, <clears throat> that's Foghat. No, it's probably, I would never do Foghat. <laughs> but, you know, that could be, uh, that could be Fleetwood Mac, you know, oh, kind hey. of a mellow, you know, classic rock, you know. Who, who doesn't like Landslide? Come on, you know. He, uh, um, but anyway, his ear is not wanting to hear that. But the, but the requirement of Lindsey Buckingham and that, the beautiful simplicity of him expressing what, Stevie Nicks wrote down in a heartache when he left her in some situation. And it's this beautiful, little, simple chord, simple narrative with a world-class voice. I can appreciate that art. I resonate with the story and the music and the expression. But somebody who didn't grow up in that music tradition might think, where's, where's the driving bass? Where's the, the rhyming? Where's the narrative? Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. That's a, you know, that's a that person problem. That's not my uh, experience problem. So I get it. I find that I have the, when I go into um, no expectation other than I want, in terms of movies, I want the sound to be crisp and, and I understand what's going on. I don't want it muddled. I want the presentation of the film to be uh, of the story. I can, I can follow it. Mm -hmm. And I want the um, actors and actresses to be believable. I want the, and I don't mean like this, like whether it's science fiction or fantasy or whatever. I don't mean I go there to have my, uh, you know, um, I don't really believe that big giant robot is running around and doing things. But I, I just want it to be sold mm -hmm. on it. When I do that, and those are that's the my expectation. I generally experience the movies much better than if I went in and thinking. Oh, you know, we love Marky Mark. He's so funny. And here he's really serious or he's dark or he's, he's in pain and gain, which is a brutal movie. That's a yeah. brutal movie. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. Um, the other time is movies can be perfectly made, beautifully shot and all those things. But if they're a movie that is on human misery for me personally, there's so much misery already around me. I'm just not interested in. So my experience is yeah. much different. You know what's nice? You know what kind of set me free with the podcast is there's billions of people on this planet. Obviously, yeah. you know that. We all grew up in different <clears throat> houses for the most part, different right. situations. We all have different temperaments, uh, different regions. It's cold. It's hot. Right. Uh, you, you know, different parents, one parent. You have grandparents in the picture. What's right. your money situation? I right. could go on forever. So we're all going to have different viewpoints on how we see things. Right. And so for me, I've just embraced what I enjoy and finding a niche of people who enjoy it. Because you can find a niche nowadays and still have a million listeners. Right. So it's, I guess I've, I've not, it won't be for everybody. Right. Not everyone will love it. Not everyone will uh, appreciate that I, we go on rants or we have some fun, <laughs> but people do. So I think that's been a, the easiest part for me. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, you know, when I, I've, I've been writing articles for like Rotten Tomatoes, Cracked. I work for Fandom, Film Theorists. I used to read the comments. Mm -hmm. It's the worst thing I ever did. Yeah. It, it's. Joe Rogan, who's in the news a lot lately, said never read the never, comments. Never, because, you know, It'll, people don't read it and they're like, you're stupid. Right. Or, you know, they, like, this is dumb. Right. Or uh, you write this thing, and then the first paragraph, you're like, these are for movies from the 21st century. Then someone's like, The Shining should have been on the list. Like, right. That's not. Right. And so, yeah, I, I guess I've grown a thick skin. I, I learned what I like. It's, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's what my, yeah. that's what helped me a lot. The other thing people. is it's our nature. If I asked you on your way to the studio here today, how many 
white cars and white trucks did you pass? You, you, I don't know. You probably passed 50. It's the single most common color out there. You didn't even notice. Yeah. But I asked you how many car crashes. If you had passed a car crash, you'd have noticed. And those comments, um, we, it's 500, you know, you'll have 500 positive, funny, whatever. And then that one person, seriously, you put this one number seven, shouldn't even be on the list. You know, that person was a whatever, you know, their personal life looked like this and these, and, and, and then you find yourself wanting to get defensive and explain why and or maybe even worse, second guess. Weasels in your head. Yeah. It's, and you're like, you know what? It's hard enough to do what we do. If you don't like it, click away. And if you do like it. But you got to leave the comments on so that people can express themselves. They come back even if they're just trolling. And, and look, it's a view. Don't you know? I've been doing a lot of the best picture work for mm. Rotten Tomatoes lately uh, just to as, as we move into it. And. I was thinking about this, like, and this is random, but I'm a huge Fast and Furious fan. There's 10 Fast and Furious yeah. movies. So if you were to rank them, there would be thousands of ways you could rank them. So I'm more, I'm happy when someone actually goes, hey, we have the same number two. Like that, that's statistically harder to have a list that's somewhat the same. Like your list should be different than mine yeah. because there's thousands of ways to do it. Well, how, what would be your number one way to rank them? I've already got two in my mind. Oh, oh, oh it's, well, they're all correct because they're all beautiful movies, okay. but- too Fast, Too Furious is the best. Okay. Tokyo Drift is number two. No, no, no. But why? Oh. How? Why are you ranking them? What's your criteria to oh, rank Oh, if you them? just write an article. So it's like, hey, here are my 10 favorite, not best. Right. And then people complain. But there's thousands but, but of ways. this is my question. Why would you rank Too Fast, Too Furious number one? What's the criteria oh, why? say? Because it what? This is the reason why it's number one. Like the biggest robbery in that movie, they, try, they steal like a cigar cutter. It's just more about the friendship between Brian and... Uh, Roman, right. Tyrese, and, and Paul Walker. And right. at the end, they crash their car, and they're so injured they can't get out of it. Right. Uh, Eva Mendez has to save them. <laughs> but in Fast 9, they're using magnets right. to pull tanks right. into trucks. Right. And I love that. Right. Listen, yeah. I love it. But I miss – I also love how Flo – I grew up in Florida. It's right. so Florida. Right. I also think there's a good racing community in it. I think John Singleton, who directed Boys in the Hood, he's right. a very good director. Right. I, I like the relationship between uh, Paul Walker and, and Tyrese. You could tell they really genuinely loved yeah. being around each other. Yeah. So for me, I like the smaller scale stuff. Right. So that's why I do it. But then right. there's other people who would rather watch Fast Furious 7 because it's bonkers. Like they, <laughs> they jump cars from two skyscrapers. You know what I love about James Wan, the director? They jump out of a skyscraper. And while they're driving through a skyscraper, they destroy about 20 terracotta warriors, which are priceless. <laughs> right. So not only are they content with jumping skyscrapers, they're, they blow up terracotta warriors in the process. Like, right. That's beautiful. <laughs> but I, those stakes for me, they don't, they just, I don't know. I'm not as into it. But that's like saying I like a filet mignon more than I like a New York strip. Right. Like it's, right. you love them both. I, I love, I look, I love, um, you know, some of my favorite movies, old Steve McQueen, where he said four words, but it was all car chases and bullet. whatever, yeah. bullet. And, you know, um, I like Nick Cage and Gone in 60 Seconds um, there for a variety of reasons. I think I would it would be fun. I, one of these days when you're you're I know you've got a long list of things to research, but one would be fun. How many times does um, Vin Diesel say brother? What <laughs> movie? of his in that franchise, does he say brother? And then you could nuance it. Is he saying it menacingly? Is he saying it welcome to the family? I've is done he, that. I've figured out how many times family has said, and the most really? that it's ever said is in The Fate of the Furious. 
Yeah, I've I've counted all the families. Yeah, so it's Fate of the Furious. That's the most. Oh my gosh, it's. Uh, um, I didn't think I would like those series. I really, really liked them when the relationship with uh, Paul Walker, you know, as it, as it began, as it got more inclusive and whatever. It's just uh, a, a, an actor I think who was underrated. I think he was an amazing actor and a lot of fun, and I bought into the shtick every single yeah. time. And think about how. I love how inclusive it is. I love how diverse it is. I mean, if you think about John Singleton directed, and then um, Justin Lin directed it, and then you had James Wan, uh, and then you had F. Gary Gray. Like, they've really done a good job of of really bringing in different faces, different voices. Right. And so when people are like, oh, that movie's dumb, I'm like, yeah, but this is one of the few billion-dollar franchises that has cared to bring in an international and diverse cast with, with uh, you know, a diverse directing crew and writers and behind the scenes. Like right. it's one of the few franchises to do that. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't know. That, that's by the way I like looking at it. Like I think it's quite hypocritical to, to say that movies need to be this or that, but then you're like, oh, the fast movies are terrible. Yeah. Cause they know what they are. Right. When you go into a fast movie, you're not watching Citizen Kane. Right. Right. That's a, you're not watching Kramer versus Kramer. Right. That's a weird pull. Right. Uh, you're watching a well, fast and furious movie. I, I love it when, to, to that point, I don't like the bait and switch. I cannot stand. I'm trying to think of what movie we just saw. Well, actually, I think it was a series. We're watching um, 1883. Have you seen any of that yet? Not I a got fan. To, I, well, okay. I want to watch it, but this is me being completely hypocritical. There were just so many ads for it during Yellowstone that I just I was like, I'm gonna. Have you have you heard anybody talk about it yet? Uh. Uh-uh. Is it good? I, I don't even want to watch Yellowstone anymore. I if you told me that the lead actor or the co-lead actor and the lead actress were singers, I was like, well, I hope they sing good. Because they're such good. Tim McGraw crushes oh, it. Nice. I, my wife and I have sat there, we have laughed, we have cried the way that it's I, I don't want to give it away. It I'm flabbergasted. So many people told me I needed to watch the series. I was like, look, I like Yellowstone to an extent. I love season one. I like season two on okay. It's become a little mafia more than I normally like, but I like it fine. Um, I'm a big Kevin Costner guy. Um, What I liked about 1883, among other things, it didn't feel like it was trying to take problems of 2022 and put them into 1883. Mm Mm-hmm. It was um, one of the lead characters is a Buffalo soldier. He's not apologetic about being a black guy. It's not over-celebrating diversity, whatever. It's like, this is the fact of the prairie 20 years after the Civil War. These are the characters that are in it. This is how they behaved. This is the, um, this is the great truth and the amazing thing about um, this nation these are the ugly underside. This is what the this is what the world looked like, and they're not celebrating or condemning. They're just telling a story, and it's the prequel to the folks getting to Montana, and it, it has flashbacks to their experiences in the Civil War hmm. and, and how deeply tragic. It's got great cameos in there that I'm not going to yeah. say their names, although there's real one funny one. Maybe we'll talk later. I thought for sure it was Pam Dauber. I was saying to my wife, "That's Pam Dauber. We haven't seen Pam." She's like, "No." No, it's not. It's so and so. She was right, of course. But it's um, anyway. What I like, one of the main things I like about it is it's not um, putting, uh, you know, issues of the day on top of a setting from way back when. Right? Tell that story. And so, to your point about 
when a when a um, when a script is written to tell a story that has a historical setting or has a particular um, story they want to tell, for example, Kramer versus Kramer, right? It's a very intimate story about the complexities of mental health mm-hmm. and divorce and children wrapped into it. And it's not easy. It's not easy to say this person's a villain when you get the whole story. And of course it's acted by some Through of the, the best, best of yeah. their you know, era at their best. Um, and, and then for that movie to try to then be, you know, hey, let's add this on. My example of that that was still is a little pet peeve of mine is the first Lord of the Rings movie, uh, Fellowship of the Ring by Peter Jackson. It opens up and I see this scenery and this set. I'm like, oh, look at how gorgeous that is. That's so beautiful. That's exactly how I see the Shire and Middle Earth and amazing not exactly who I would have picked for Aragorn, although I'm a big um, Vigo fan. In my mind, is a little bit, but that's okay. He he attacked the role earnestly and whatever. Um, Carl Urban as the head of the Rohan. You know, Roh- Rohan, the prince. Oh, heck yeah. My wife's like, oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. I was like, chill out there, horse girl. <laughs> uh, we got to meet him at DragonCon a couple times. Nice. He's a really cool dude. But when they decided... You know what? To reach more of the audience, let's change Arwen and how she's portrayed in the books, and let's expand her role and let's have her do these things. At first, even though I'm a, I'm a fan of Liv Tyler, I was irritated. I was like, "Come on, don't do that." Later, I just went with it. It was fine, and uh, it kind of freed me up to love all of the movies till we got to the Hobbit franchise, and then that was a great story of how you take a hour and a half children's book and turn it into three way too long uh, movies that had all kinds of challenges. I think he just wanted to fund the New Zealand film industry for several years, and that's why he stretched it out and added love triangles and all All kinds of stuff. But that's what I mean when you, when you, or you trying to change it. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make this character have more gravitas in that era. That's not true in that era. This was true. Not whether it's right or wrong, fair or unfair but what was true and accurate historically? Tell that story. If it's a buddy film, let it be a buddy film, right? And that's for me and my little pet peeves. When I feel the heavy hand of, of, a, of, a, of a, an elegant story, even if it's a simple story, trying to um, impose on something on it that, that probably didn't ring true of the original uh, idea um, that, I got it. That's when I get irritated. Yeah. I do think with fantasy, though, that when it's fantasy, you can have a little bit more of a license to it because... I got there. Yeah, you got I, there. <laughs> I got there. But part of it, like most of the people that I knew that went to see the movie with me didn't care because I was more... It was less about should you empower a female elf. It was more about that's not how the movie works got out. It. So you're going to have that scene instead of Tom Bombadil? <laughs> you're going to have this instead of the Barrow Downs? What are you thinking? You know, these are key elements, which actually would take me to my next point. What do you think... As you think about movies, scenes that were shot but not included in the movie. You mentioned earlier, and this wasn't pre-planned, the movie yesterday being sued. And there's a scene, I'm pretty sure that was cut from the movie. Was it the James Corden scene where he played, um, or was that in the movie, where he plays um, 
I don't know to the uh, actress and the James Corden. I think it was cut from the movie. And yesterday? And yesterday. Yeah, this was uh, Anna de Armas. I guess she was a character in it, and she was heavily featured in the trailers. Yeah. But then they cut her scene for brevity just to kind of get rid of that subplot. Okay. And then people sued over it. Well, that's ridiculous. But I'm wondering, are there films that you're familiar with where there is a you know, a bad example, but an example is Kevin Costner in The Big Chill. You know, he was filmed in The Coffin and these other things and they never included him in the movie. You think there's any scenes or characters that in the editing process, if what was originally shot either was kept in or the whole of it, maybe some of it was kept in, but other was removed for whatever their reasons were, time, whatever, um, would have changed the tenor or the focus of the movie? Yeah, I mean, if you think about The Shining, remember the the Overlook Hotel manager, the, the, the person who ran it, we meet him in the beginning in the interview when he's interviewing Jack Nicholson. Right. At the end, we learn that Allman was evil. He kind of tosses a tennis ball to the family. And so you learn that he was part of the evil oh. of that. But it works better with the photograph. It works better with is this place evil? What right. drew this man insane? It works better with the ambiguity. Mm. So in that one, then you're like, oh, okay, right. then it's evil. Right. 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 I think that would wreck right. the mystique of one of the movies that probably has the most mystique on the planet, yeah. and that's The Shining. So yeah. I do think cutting that scene where Allman shows that he knows the evil history of the hotel. Yeah. Blech. Get right. that out of there. Get that right. out of there. Because that would wreck. I think that would really wreck everything. And also, uh, I also have a podcast called Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, where I've covered all three Deep Blue Sea movies. <laughs> I had the director of the third one on, the star. We've had some pretty big names on the show. Deep Blue Sea, uh, the reason I bring this up, it, it was released in 99 when I worked in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And I've been in many movies. I've, I've watched many audiences react to films, and I've never seen audiences react to Deep Blue Sea uh, the way anybody else has. Cheering, clapping. At the end of Deep Blue Sea, not even Sharknado, they didn't. See, that's got to be a close. That's purposely bad. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea is actually good. Deep Blue Sea is a good movie. Then I'll have to go reinvestigate uh, it. I don't remember it being good. It's uh, So Renny, uh, I wrote about it for Rotten Tomatoes. We did a video for it for Rotten Tomatoes. It has almost 800,000 views. Okay. So I'm really trying to get out there and be like, Okay. Listen, y'all. Okay. It's a movie about genetically modified sharks who yeah, eat people. So it's fun. It's like it knows exactly what it is. Okay. It has an Oscar-winning production designer, Oscar-winning costume designer. Uh, it's Stellan Skarsgård, Sam Jackson, huge cast. Right. But at the end of it, the doctors, Dr. Susan McAllister, she lives. Mm. And so she lives with – she's the one who shoots the shark and blows it up. Right. Audiences – we had one of someone from the original test screening. Right. They lost their minds. They're like, this can't happen. Like, well, she's the person who created them. She's the reason why everyone's dead. Right. So they went, reshot it. LL Cool J's character, Preacher, ends up blowing up the shark, and it's just him and Carter Blake alive at the end. Okay. But I'm telling you, that switch, if they would have kept that original ending in, I think audiences would have been left flat. But mm -hmm. when, when, uh, when we find out that – that preacher lives. He stabs a shark in the eye with his crucifix, crucifix necklace because right. he's a preacher. Right. And he blows up the shark. Audiences lost their minds and <laughs> cheered. And it went from like, oh, this is annoying. Right. To people standing up, high-fiving, clapping, and yelling. That's funny. I, I, that's, I think that's why I love that movie so much, watching a theater and just watching the way people reacted to it. Right. And so, I mean, I, I, I think it's – I think that was a great switch. And, I mean, also Lord of the Rings, they showed Saruman being killed. And then they didn't have that in the original Lord that's of the Rings. Right. I mean, do you think that's better to, to not have him come back? Um, 
I would have loved him to be seen because for me as a as a re, you know I'm I'm that nerd who read the Silmarillion. I mean, I was reading this stuff in seventh or eighth grade when Frodo appeared to die from Shelob um, in the book. I started crying in freaking eighth grade in Texas, and you know I wasn't a I wasn't a kid that did that very often. I, I didn't think of myself as particularly emotional, but I was so invested in that character. So when Saruman got, um, got his comeuppance uh, at the end of the series, you know, Wait, go back to the Sauron. Sauron. I'm talking about Christopher Lee, right? Christopher, yeah, you're talking yeah, about that yeah, Saruman. Yeah. He's the he's the white wizard who actually gets seduced by Sauron. There right? it is. Sauron and Sauron. Sauron and Sauron. So Sauron, of course, we all, he's Mount Doom, and, you know, he's been around uh he was the lieutenant of the super bad guy. But anyway, that's not explained in the book or in the movie. Oh. Yeah. He he was not the original bad guy. It'd be like Lucifer's cousin Teddy in Tolkien's world. His original bad guy. Hank. Hank <laughs> that's right. Hank. Hank's in charge of destroying the world. Yeah, the original bad guy. The reason why probably the most – this would be a really interesting thing for you to, to do – the most power. Do you know who the most powerful person in Middle Earth, in terms of a mortal being, was? A mortal being, Sean Bean, Boromir. Nope. Uh, nope. It was the uh, Queen of the Elves. Oh. It was Kate Blanchett's character. Uh, she was the most powerful and had been since – so the Middle-earth is shot in the Third Age or the movie in the books, The Lord of the Rings is in the Third Age. But he wrote in the Silmarillion a whole history from the foundation of the world, the angels, God, and how um, – so Gandalf would have been a type of angel. Um, Saruman would have been a type of angel. These are These are – not exactly angels. Think of them as lesser angels that came. The wizards were given specific power by their creator to come to the earth and sort of manage it. And then he had beings that had um, supernatural-ish powers. Dwarves. So men were mortal. Dwarves, uh, elves, they weren't. Um, dwarves were immortal, but they had special powers given to them. Elves. And then they had um, one of their sort of lesser gods had uh, kind of like the Christian story of Lucifer getting jealous of human beings and saying, why should these people be special as opposed to us angelic people? So it's this really interesting oh. twist. So he fights this war against the elves and the men of Numenor, of which Aragon is a descendant of the Numenarians, and Elrond and his brother Elros and Kate Blanchett's character, whose name is escaping me at the moment, they're, they're Elvira. The, Elvira. That'd be great. No, nope, she'd be interesting if she dressed like Elvira. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you have this whole big history that's happened long before. Well, they eventually destroy. All the dragons are destroyed. That's why there's no dragons anymore in Middle Earth, hmm. um, except for Smog, who is a descendant of the great black dragon that was the pet of this evil guy. Smog but the, the lieutenant. Hoarder. Uh, Smog the Hoarder, Smog the Terrible, um, Smoggy Day. He didn't like that title. Um, but anyway, Saran was the chief lieutenant of this original evil guy. And he was, when that evil guy was destroyed, Saran fell on the mercy and he, he you know, he was a spirit. And anyway, it's this whole backstory that um, I might uh, need to read that, that book now. Well, the Silmarillion is not a story in the way that the Lord of the Rings is. It's like reading Encyclopedia Britannica. 
Oh. Open up. You want to get a flavor for it? Open up. Uh, you know, I don't know the book of numbers or Leviticus in the old Testament, you know, this person begat this one and then they moved to this country and they begat, you know, so it's a lot of uh. kind of in that tradition. And then later he decided, you know, what's the most interesting is to tell this story about how men came to be in power. And eventually the idea was that's, you know, us human beings today are descendants of middle earth as opposed to the original inhabitants, the elves, the dwarves, the hobbits, the, you know, the themes of mythology. It's a really interesting story. Those guys are pretty, and his best buddy at the time was C.S. Lewis in their little club they had called the Inklings. I think they're at Cambridge. This genius group of people in the 30s and 40s there in uh, England. They wrote a couple of good books. They wrote some good books. They had some <laughs> good stuff, good philosophy. Well, hey, look, this is a technology podcast, so yeah. I'm going to ask you some technology stuff. One of, the, um, one of the things I'm really interested in is the other day, my daughter um, was watching shows on YouTube or, or, or movies on YouTube, and they were movies filmed somewhere between the 20s and the 40s. Uh, the ones that she and my wife were watching were mostly, um, uh, a lot of them were kind of Japanese era, but they were uh, black and white, almost all silent films. And technology had come along, artificial intelligence and um, other uh, technologies. They had not only colorized them, but they were able to take these films that were shot at, I don't know, 20 frames per second or whatever, and the computer was able to extrapolate that guy riding into town on the horse. So these were like historical documentaries. It wasn't like a fictional story, but the general kind of riding through town in the parade and the AI was able to create a 30 to 60 frame per second because it was able to project, well, if it started here and you know, here it is a quarter second later, well, it had to have traversed this. And so it's able to build this really smooth, seamless thing, colorized everything and then I didn't see it, but she was telling me that in some cases, the computers are looking at the way their mouths move. They did this with some movies from the 20s and some others, the way their mouths move, so a silent film, and they could, the computer could take their voice that they have in other recordings, clean it up, almost like an opposite of deep fake, turn it into their actual voice, and then either based upon the script or just what they were mouthing, create a soundtrack that matched seamlessly with what they were saying. I was like, that can't possibly be true. But the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why couldn't it be true? It's gone full howl. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that interesting? Have you experienced anything like that or heard of anything like that? You know, Peter Jackson's been uh, probably at the forefront of all this. He did a World War One documentary called, um, oh gosh, the, They Shall Not Grow Old. I yeah, I haven't seen the documentary, but I saw an outtake of him collecting the airplanes from it. So, like, he had people walking in mud. He was full. He foleyed everything, and he right. had uh, he found letters. He read lips. He, if this regiment was from Manchester, he found someone from Manchester to voice that. Wow. But he didn't have AI, but he did learn how to color correct. So right. he did make it from from black and white grainy to kind of 4K quality. And right. he recently had the Beatles footage as well. Right. So I think he, he started getting sent all this black and white footage to restore it because I think he's just a, a bajillionaire and he was bored right. and he wanted to save all this. So right. I could see AI. I mean, you know, in Lord of the Rings, in Two Towers, they created an AI system for the Urukai. Right. And uh, 
apparently when they set it up, one of the Urukai ran backwards. It was like, I'm out of here. Right. Like they set up AI to do that. Really? So, yeah. Like it was like someone in the like free guy now. Right. But this one Urukai was like, I'm out. <laughs> I remember yeah. seeing that. And so I think that's hilarious. And so I, I totally believe that there would, would be AI reading lips. Uh, but, I mean, the AI would probably have to know where is this person from, right? What right. country are they from? Where are they from? Like, well, this, that's where the really machine quite, learning yeah. comes in, right? They have it. I, I'm not familiar enough with it. I see this in other um, machine learning applied in a number of other places as long as you have the right sources of data to learn how to do it and what the construction and the whatever. And then you see this from uh, facial recognition and deep fake stuff where there, uh, you know, there are apps out there, I understand, or things you can mess around with. And you say a sentence and it would say it in President Trump or President Obama or President Biden's voice. And you're like, that can't be true. I mean, there's big scandals where they take celebrities' faces and they use AI like Tom Cruise. and put them on uh, pornography films or all kinds of other stuff. And there's all kinds of lawsuits out there. and all that. Yeah. And so to apply that to historical stuff, on the one hand, I thought, how cool is that? That'd be really exciting. Then the next thought I was like, but I don't want to lose something in the, in the original art. It's not, you know, um, I don't want it to replace it, maybe to come alongside. Here's what it looked like in this form, which is impressive. Here's what it would look like in this other form. And the third thing is, how hard would it be to change something, to make them say something that they didn't say? And it'd be so subtle, you wouldn't notice it. So all yeah. of a sudden now you're using technology. I mean, that's a big fear of technology today, that with all of this good, the other thing you can do for it is... Um, oh, you know, so-and-so said this, or, or this was the intention. It never was, but they use technology to subtly change something. Okay, this is an interesting thing because I think this is de definitely going to be more of a kind of gimmick. Mm. Like, you see it, oh, that was a fun experiment. I just watched Nosferatu, it got color, they added dialogue. Right. It was fun. Right. I, I think it might make it more accessible to people, but I guess I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't think they're going to get rid of the originals. Yeah, may, maybe not. So, but it's... Do you think it changes the experience if you can watch uh, an yeah. Alfred Hitchcock movie in color with... I do. And they kind of cleaned up the, uh, the way that, the, you know, it flows. Because an audience back then, to them, in the 40s, the 30s, 50s, even in 60s, like this is such a novel experience that even seeing it, whatever their frame rate was and, you know, uncomfortable chairs, it was so novel. They had nothing else to compare it with. It still enraptured them. I mean, I was just thinking about other movies that terrified me that I never saw coming, Birds. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It was on TV. Um, I had no idea. I don't even remember how old I was. And um, so probably early high school. I mean, it was, I don't know if it was on HBO or it was on cable. I had no, no experience with it. Just up late one night. I watched it scared the heck out of me master he knew a lot about real fear like the right. shower scene and the birds like he right. dealt with a lot of real right things i've been attacked by a bird so it makes sense well, i've been attacked by birds but they were geese it's <laughs> <laughs> not fun <laughs> no they no. will they will chase you down the hill i, I guess uh with the, with the ai i think it could make a, a whole world accessible though because i teach at a college right and a lot of my students, I, sometimes when I teach film studies, I like to show them old school films, you know, right. pre-code films, you know, before the Hayes Code kicked in. Right. I like to show them Psycho. Before the what kicked in? Oh, uh, the Hayes Code. What uh, is that? So uh, 
when when cinema started, sorry if I'm if sorry if you've you've heard about this. I'm not trying to uh, Mark explain. Right. But yeah, before cinema came around, you know, the 20s were quite a wild time for cinema. Sure. Uh, there there was you know alcohol, sex, adultery, murder. Uh, there was a lot of of movies that came out pre-code that it was kind of like the wild wild west. Mm. You could kind of make what you wanted, and right. there they were getting quite scandalous in the 20s. <clears throat> But then they really realized that they needed to, to form a board that would uh, rate cinema. Mm. So the Hayes Code came about. It was very Christian, very forward, and you know couples couldn't sleep in the same bed. Very, uh, you know, a lot of racist laws at the time. Wow. Uh, it, it, you know, you couldn't have a certain if, if a character was bad, the mm. character had to pay for it in mm. the end. Right. So you know, a lot of the early films, you know, you watch Frankenstein, right? He throws that little child into the water, and the child drowns. Like right. it was. Cinema was quite wild, and then right. the Hayes Code got a hold of it, and uh, you know, Scarface was made, the original Scarface, which was Pacino. Everyone complains about remakes, but right. like Scarface is a remake. Right. But it's they they had to add in the beginning of it Scarface because they made it pre-code, and then it was released after the code came out. Scarface, Scourge of the Nation, mm-hmm. and then they had to release a, a thing in the beginning of it. This movie is about a terrible man. I'm paraphrasing, right. but this terrible man will will see. We are not saying this terrible man is good. Right. So the Hayes Code kicked in, and 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 I mean, it went through the 30s, 40s, 50s, and you don't see people sleeping together. You don't see a lot of risque things. You couldn't have outright sexual jokes. That's why, like, bringing a baby right. and innuendo became very popular because right. it wasn't outright just saying, "Hey, let's," you know, right. like it was right. it was it was a lot of innuendo that people use. So like like Billy Wilder and a lot of directors learned to work around it. Mm. But yeah, uh, that's why foreign cinema. In the early 60s, that started coming over to the States became very popular. You know, you had uh, Breathless and similar like that because mm. France and Germany, they weren't bound right. to those similar laws. When right. they came over here, right. they like, really changed la la. cinema. Yeah, and then in the 67, that's why you have Bonnie and Clyde. That's, that's why you have The Graduate. You have these people seeing what, what art is around the world, and that's why in the late 60s you had this huge change in cinema okay. because, uh, you know, the Hayes Code was falling. The world was changing, you know, Vietnam and civil rights and people are like, well, these Hayes Code, this isn't quite correct. But right. for th- many years, this Hayes Code kept the guardrails. Yeah. And so, oh, you two aren't in, you two have to be in different beds. You right. have to be, like, we're talking pages and pages of laws. Right. And yeah, it really, it really constricted cinema. So you were talking about Hayes Code in the classroom when you're talking to your students. Yeah. Cause I think students should know that cinema used to be pretty bowdy. Right. Uh, and then a lot of my students though, they try to think like, Okay, this this movie's in black and white. I won't like it. Mm. So I try to find movies like The Apartment, mm. uh, which I mean, you know, Tom Hanks. I feel like made his whole entire career off of Jack Lemmon. Right. Uh, I mean, every actor's done that. Right. I can't say that. Right. But, I mean, Edward Norton and De Niro and Pacino. Right. But you have. I, I try to show them movies that are quite modern in their aesthetics. Like Psycho mm. could have been filmed in color, but Hitchcock filmed it in black and white to lull audiences into thinking they are watching a cheap stock movie so when the right. murder happens they're shocked right so i try to teach them about that but i do think i know a lot of people who don't watch black and white cinema it's boring mm-hmm. it's this or that or i don't want to watch this and so that's why if you could put it in color speed it up right maybe open some doors for kids you know yeah. and then they learn to embrace it then they're like oh i really like lon cheney right i'm gonna go watch i saw lon cheney in the speed sped up youtube clip uh, i'm gonna go watch other lon cheney movies right. so it's if it's a gateway for more cinema, sure. Yeah. I would love it. I'd watch it. Yeah. Why not? Put let Deep Blue Sea do it. Put AI on Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> I don't know what it'll do. I'll just watch it again and I'll love it. Well, I think it's fascinating that it gives to your point, it gives people um 
an opportunity to um, see more detail. The, the, the tools, as I saw them anyway, weren't trying to, uh, re- they weren't trying to impose something that wasn't there. And this one, I'm thinking of this one clip, um, I don't remember the name of it. There's these series of things, and they were only like 20 seconds to a minute long, these very short clips. But as the, the, they showed the original in black and white and very grainy and kind of whatever, and it was, you got no nuance. Just people were all frowning, and there, there weren't a lot of um, face changes and just kind of jerky and moving. And then when you saw it um, in this enhanced version, the flag is slowly fluttering uh, you know now you notice it because mm-hmm. the frame rate's corrected the colors there the the differences the the detail of the um the makeup that the um that the women were wearing in their kimonos and their uh you know their hairstyle and and as the, you know the the children kind of stand there and all like all of a sudden you're in this street in 1932 Tokyo and you, the, what's going on with the shopkeepers? And this, it's amazing how much detail pops out beyond the guy on the horse or whoever is just riding into town. I thought it was uh, fascinating. I mean, I would love to watch the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in like rich, richer blacks, like right. richer colors. I mean, I, I think black and white's the color for it. You know, German expressionism relies, I mean, look at Burton and his Gothic filmmaking. It relies a lot on German expressionism. So I don't want to see it all colorful, yeah. but I would love to see richer blacks or right. uh, I would love to see it pop a little bit more. Yeah. I would watch, I'd go watch it. Why yeah. not? Well, you watch anything. Yeah, I love pretty much. That. Yeah. Hey, do you, one of the questions I have for you is, um, are you getting a little CGI fatigue? And, and I don't mean really good CGI that enhances a film. But I I have these two experiences for me personally. One is they feel like the movie is going to be carried by the depth of its CGI. So this latest Transformer movie. I love the original Transformers. Great CGI. I laughed and laughed at the whole thing with Shia LaBeouf and the premise. And yeah, I know it's hokey, but you know, I go to movies like that. It's good energy to that movie. I just watch it. It was fun. Um, the last one, I even liked the first Marky Mark one. You know, he was funny. You know, that's my daughter. You know, it was whatever. It was over the top, but I, I liked it. The last one was just horrible. I don't care. Mind numbing. It's just it lost me. If, if I felt exhausted after watching it, but the CGI was yeah. amazing. And there are a number of these where the CGI is like, this is so beautiful. But what it reminds me of is, you have the most beautiful ceramic plate. This intricate chalice unbelievable china and whatever the setting's beautiful and they drop a microwave you know frozen something on your plate that has no taste processed foods just junk Mm -hmm. and i and i i don't know if it's an exact tie-in with the stuff with ai taking a story driven thing and adding color and smoothness to it that is enhancing hopefully a story um, that's already high quality is the idea. And this where it's, look, we're just going to make this beautiful set and we're going to make this beautiful sort of accoutrements, but um, whether it's the script or the skill of the actors or whatever. And I, I've just found myself more and more less attracted to the outrageous CGI moments and um, uh, missing good story. And I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know. No, no. Poo-pooing, but I'm just wondering if you're getting any fatigue from it. I think that CGI is always, it needs to 
it, it doesn't need to be first. It doesn't need to be front and center. Like we need, to, we we should do this because we can, because we have CGI. If you watch right. Jurassic Park, C, uh, the CGI creatures aided the film. When you watch The Abyss, uh, when you watch Avatar, there's the story there, and the two act hand in hand. When you watch Dune, right. I watch Dune. Yeah, I have never said whoa more right. in the last ten years while watching a movie. Yeah. But a lot of those are practical sets that are aided by visual effects. So I think when it's like that, I'll watch those movies all day. Right. But there are some times when you're watching this movie and like they're crashing from outer space. And, uh, right. You, I think it's too easy. Mm. But like you know, I watched that bur- uh, Red Notice on Netflix. That I movie's so it. CGI heavy. It was filmed during the pandemic, but it's just so fake. Mm-hmm. It's one of the. It's, I, I think if there's a movie written by – it's one of Netflix's biggest movies ever, so I sound like a, a, an old grump. Right. But And I, I apologize if you appreciate it, but it does feel algorithm-directed, and it bored me to no end. Right. It just felt very plastic. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just a crutch. And when I feel like the, the computer uh, visual effects are a crutch, I don't like it. But Mad Max Fury Road had over 1,000 visual effect shots, and you really don't even see them. Right. So I think – no, I am not getting uh, fatigued of CGI. And, you know, a lot of people talk about superhero fatigue, Star Wars fatigue. <coughs> I say bring it on. It's more content. <laughs> it doesn't bother yeah. me. But I will say Hawkeye. I watched that Disney Plus show. Yeah. That's one of my favorites because yeah. it's so grounded. Daredevil. We, on we loved Hawkeye. It's That's amazing. one of my wife and I's favorite. We, we think it's a – first of all, Jeremy Rayner nails it. He's excellent. Just the right – he's not so – jaded and i hate the world um he just wants to get like all the elements work um yeah. and uh we like the earnest uh Haley seinfeld she's great yeah. florence Pugh was in it uh, yeah sorry to interrupt I, I just love how grounded it is yeah and so those are always be my favorite right that's my favorite uh, i like shang shang chi i thought that was a wonderful movie but the cgi whatever i like the bus chase Mm. The bus chase felt yeah. real to me, and so it grounded me in that. Like in Black Widow, I like the fight on the bridge because there's, they're not falling from the sky for several minutes. Like, how right. high is this thing? Uh, it, for me, it's always like Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, those are those are always, always be my favorites. The CGI right. heavy movies, uh, right? I don't, I don't mind them. I just don't want it to be the main actor, yeah, and right? And that's what I mean by the fatigue. I'm like, I'm tired. I, it feels like we've just been missing maybe lately a number of these. And even back to 1883 or Yellowstone or some of these other things that we've, we've enjoyed. My wife uh, liked 1883. She won't watch Yellowstone. But, it, but like, it's, like them or hate them, it's, the emphasis is the character, the, the, you know, this, this um, dichotomy and, and – um, you know, the, the integrity of the story and blah, blah, blah. And if you're doing it in a way that you're not distracted by wires or you're hanging like um, the new uh, Spider-Man movie, we loved the way that it was driven. Absolutely. And while we love the CGI, it feels weird to say it wasn't front and center because it was all CGI, but it was so elegant. It was it's like um, people coming and going into a room that you don't even notice while you're having a conversation. They're just bringing stuff in and taking stuff out and sort of making the arrangements, and they're not the center, and yet you see them you know, the whole time. It's just quality filmmaking, right? You have uh, Jurassic Park. You still know, you know the names almost of all, almost all the characters, right? right? You, you're so focused on the characters because they're well-drawn <laughs> that you don't really focus on the CGI because you're so worried about what's going to happen to Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire or... or uh, Tom Holland. So yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do think people put that front and center, but I think good filmmakers can trump that and use it to their advantage, which I think. So there's a lot of talk lately about, and this is my favorite thing. We probably should have gotten to this an hour ago, but I'm really interested in this because we only got, um, I don't know, 20 minutes or so more. 30 a lot minutes. of deep blue sea talk. That's all right. But this is my imagine deep blue sea in the metaverse, or maybe not the metaverse, but I'm sitting there with my like like glassless 3D or AR, you know, augmented reality or virtual reality, like I'm fully immersed. So in, in my world, where there's a lot of talk around, um, you know, the positives and the consequences of these, of, of tools, technology tools. But one of the things that I really do like, almost related to the conversation we were having a minute ago about, AI and machine learning enhancing old movies is that it enriches this experience. It's more immersive. Uh, for me, we've talked about this before on the show. The, the reason why Star Wars, for people like me who saw it in 1977 in the theater with no, other than it's just sort of a buzz movie, there's, there's no way to describe it. You know, it's kind of like your wedding night. You've got to experience it. You can't describe it. Mm-hmm. You, I experienced that movie, and it was the visual on the screen, obviously. The way it tricked me with its version of CGI or special effects or whatever, special effects. But the sound, I'd never experienced sound like that. So I, in you know, 40 years ago, this immersive experience, and I feel like the oppor- there's an opportunity for these other devices to get in there. Have you seen any experimentation yet in in uh, in the theater with AR or VR or anything like that to really immerse you into the world? I have not. I, I mean, of course, there was after Avatar, there was the big 3D push. That's kind of gone out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, I think theaters have... I, I don't think they've pushed for that yet. They've just made it more of a, homely, a home experience. You get the couches, the... Recliner seats, the blankets. I would never use a movie theater blanket. Have you used a movie theater blanket? Uh, more food, better food, drinks. They want to make it more luxury. So if you're going out, you can enjoy that. But I haven't heard about that because, I mean, theaters, what? And I was looking at the domestic yearly thing. I mean, theaters in 2018 and domestically, they did almost 12 billion. 2019, 11 billion. 2020, 2 billion. 2021, they did 4.5 billion. So right now, Theaters are just focused on getting people back in the theaters. Right. So I don't I don't think I think once theaters are back and running, they might dedicate maybe one theater. Because if you do one theater for AR, VR, every seat has to have that. Every and then you need to have a technician for each. Well let's change it right? from the theater. Let's At what home? director is thinking about how do I make this where as I'm telling this story, it's sense and sensibility. And while the movie's going on you can walk the set. James Cameron, uh, I think Avatar, the 3D, he did it right. Mm. Uh, The 3D wasn't post-converted to make more money. He built the world thinking that it would be in 3D. So Mm. when people put on, there's a reason why it's the highest grossing film ever made, because you were in Pandora. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, with counting inflation, it's gotta be. Uh, I think it's Endgame right now. I know Spider-Man No Way Home? Mm is going up there. But yeah, I mean, 
Do you remember watching that movie with the 3D glasses and just feeling like you were I in never saw it with the 3D glasses. 3D glasses, I've yet to have a great experience with Got 3D. He, he put you in the world. Okay. You So, I mean, that movie's Ferngully. It's Pocahontas. It's, right. uh, it, it's everything you're familiar with. But I remember sitting in there and just, like, feel, seeing the, I don't know, whatever, plants and Right. animals and the, the tree that you wouldn't want in your front yard because it would just destroy it. Right. Uh, you just, you were in that world. And I think Cameron has really excelled at pushing technology to, he won't make a movie until he knows he can make that movie. Mm -hmm. So I think Avatar 2 is going to be the, the closest we'll get because he doesn't, he doesn't make a movie and then tack 3D on it. He mm -hmm. makes a movie with every technological advancement known to, to humankind because he's the one director in the world who can do that mm -hmm. I think right now mm -hmm. I think he has so much power because he makes hits he makes blockbusters and you know if I was a studio I'd throw money at him I wouldn't right. want to deal with him because he's a pain in the butt right but I, I would toss money at him and I would just let him make this experience so I mean he's filming underwater he's 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 pushing these boundaries and uh, that's the experience I think I want and right. I think if if to come closest to that, it's James Cameron. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because he takes... I mean, remember who's going to make Titan Titanic, but he... And Ava like, before he made Avatar, he made he got to the lowest point in the Mariana Trench mm -hmm. just to do it and figure out technology and push it so he could shoot underwater for longer periods of time. Like, he's a maniac. Like, he shot in an abandoned... There's an old nuclear silo. Right. And he filled that up in water and made the abyss. Right. And then, like, Water was getting through, so it didn't look dark. So they just put like uh, like black um, orbs on top to block all the light out. I mean, he's a guy that just pushes everybody to their limits. But he's a visionary. He's like you know you mentioned Hitchcock earlier. Hitchcock, there was something about him. Orson Welles. There there are certain people that they have a. Um, it's not just that they're master craftsmen in, in terms of making movies. They might have been horrible human beings, but master craftsmen at making movies. But they had a really strong sense of how they wanted the timing, the art of the angle, the the not just world class cinematography to balance it out, but just really, you know, a generational thing on. Um, imagining a particular perspective. And I think James Cameron is one of those people who, and they tend to be, uh, Steve Jobs, one of those people, you know, there there were better music players other than the iPod and whatever, uh, with exponential more potential. But he said, no, 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 no. This is, this is the simplicity. This is the elegance. This is the experience people, people want. And here's the path. Mm -hmm. James Cameron, I think, is somebody who, can visualize what technology should be able to do, push it where we're maybe on the ragged edge, not quite able to get there, but get it, get the development made in the movie business, but get technologists, um, uh, chip makers, whatever, to, to, you know, build that out. That's not what I mean. What I mean more is Facebook has a third to half of the planet connected to it today. And their future, they're saying, is the metaverse, this whole immersive world. Microsoft, one of their big uh, next generation things that they really are focused on in the next 10 years is the metaverse from a corporate perspective. You'll be able to be in your virtual office and still be able to just like a real office, have drive-bys, walk by and talk to people just as if you're there and experience these things because what they feel like the future is some of the largest buyers and you know technology companies on earth 
um, at least the constituents they're looking at, the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds today, what they're, or even the teenagers, what they're going to want in 10 or 15 years is this world. And I'm wondering if that has begun to influence not the story writers, but the crafters of the film to say, do we need to incorporate this other than just this, um, you know, more colors, more vivid, faster frame rate, but but not necessarily um, a different experience. You know, be able to walk through the set of a Civil War while it's going, while the battle's going on at Midway. You know, you're in it. You can move around. Well, I think, have you heard of The Expanse? Uh, that they were cr- they created for the Mandalorian? Have you heard, or the volume? I'm sorry, the volume. Is have this you- the thing with the T? Like it's in a dome and they have a. Uh, it's like LED or whatever high def. Yeah, it's 20 feet tall, 270 uh, degrees around, and 75 feet across. I've heard that. One of the things that I thought was fascinating, at least in the article that I read, was they were in addition to that, they were doing 3D printing of props, so they 3D could print props. their own props. You know, skew it up. They'd have to order it from, you know, some art shop or whatever and drop it in to this world and it completely changed the dynamic. So I've I've roughly heard about it, but why don't you elaborate on it? I mean, listen, this is uh, I I remember watching the behind the scenes footage for The Mandalorian. Uh And so, you know, like I said, I spent a lot of my life sitting next to green screen, blue screens, everything. But when I saw how the expanse worked, watching it with Megan, I had a tear in my eye. Yeah. Because I think it really does revolutionize shooting in studios and shooting on screen. So, I mean, if you can take that screen and you can be that immersive and make a 270-degree shot with 3D-printed props, then you could probably make that tech. It's so new right now, but you could probably make it smaller for the home, like right. make it more immersive, a wall maybe, or you know, something that surrounds you. you or maybe know. a boutique theater experience where it's you know maybe five years from now, instead of the lounge chairs, it is you are in this like an old planetarium yeah, where exactly. you've got it up on the ceiling or whatever. But you come in and you sit down and it's all four walls and it's you're in the middle. That's yeah. I think I think that's a really neat technology that they're working on right now. I I, I did. I I, I was kind of you know it's kind of wild. Is uh, I got kind of bummed. I'm like I wish I could have worked on that. <laughs> I wish I could have seen that screen. Uh, it really, uh, I, I think it is pushing cinema to a night. I mean, because, you know, going on location is tough. Yeah. And so I think having this this wall is pretty amazing. And, and, it, and it got built by John Favreau. He got tired of shooting on green screen because right. it was so tough to do. Right. So then he developed this. And, you know, ILM, they're like, this is impossible. Right. And, it, it, you know, what's interesting. The more I research film, I really would want to work with what are ILM because a lot of directors who work with them, they they say I want this and they're like well I am like this is impossible and they're like I don't care make it happen and then ILM <laughs> makes it happen so I think I mean in in what the short span of of you know not well not it's not a short span it's thirty years but we're moving at such a fast clip right now that this expanse could maybe make the most immersive experience that's why I think I think we're the closest with that well it it um, I don't know how closely they're related but it reminds me of um, I think what Abba those, you know, great, uh, great, great communicators of um, thought and expression, the band ABBA, they had famously said some time ago, look, we're never going to go on tour again or whatever, but there's been a big movement. I, I, I might get some of the details wrong, but they put them in suits, their Gollum suits, filmed them, um, uh, and then they digitally enhanced their uh, the way they look or whatever, and they created a virtual concert. And I, I know this has happened with South Korean bands um, in the past, but I don't know if the, con- I think the concert is this 
um, summer in London. I believe it's already sold out at one of the big stadiums. And it will be a virtual, it's them singing, but they're in their home studios or in a studio near their home. They're not on stage, but the virtual reality is so compelling. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I'm like, this can't possibly work. But I guess it's, it's you know, this technologist, they're, they're all in on it. It's an also enhancing, you know, their 60s now. So their voice isn't the same as in their 20s or 30s. So it's um, it's coming along and enhancing their voice. And the the show's been sold out or it's pre-sold or whatever. It's this really interesting thing. And I was like, that can't be true. But it is this really strong drive to do that. And I'm wondering, well, if that's where we're going with music and concerts and whatever, I can, I can, I can put on some set or I can experience in my holodeck room here in my home. And so now I can go to any concert in the world and feel like I'm fully there. I'm fully immersed. Um, if that's the end goal, I mean, they did it in Star Trek. I mean, they spent millions and millions because they don't want to reunite together on stage, right? Is that what it is? Well, I think one person's like, look, I just don't travel anymore. I'm a grandmother and whatever. And they're like, look, I think we can do this if you'll let us put you in the suit and the room and you guys sing all your songs or whatever and then we'll use the computer technology to bring it together and then we're going to clean it up and put in the backdrops and then we're going to put it on stage so it's this essentially a hologram movie of you guys performing and singing whether it's successful or not the world is trying to find solutions like that yeah. that are very immersive and whether and in that scenario the concert goers don't have to wear anything it's a hologram that appears absolutely real i mean the communal experience is worth it It'd be hanging out and yeah jam some, out to some abba I, abba I wonder if something even like that could end up in a movie theater where it's like the old time uh, you know instead of just a screen can you have uh, you sit in the you know in a pit around a, a you know a theater experience and the hologram is happening around you i don't know it just feels like there's a lot of opportunity to while you're telling a story to immerse people in it and there seems to be an appetite whether it's the appetite of the multiverse or holograms or whatever that people are interested in seeing that or experiencing it like that i mean if you gotta think about it uh, let's say back in the day you're used to going to plays and you're seeing the actors perform and then someone's like hey come with me and watch this 20 second clip of a train coming towards the camera you're like this will never work people right. won't sit in dark rooms like they're gonna want to watch live performers right so you do need to keep moving forward. And as much, you know, it's interesting. I really felt like this is wild. This is crazy, this thing. But I mean, imagine how people felt watching movies on a screen projected through that. So yeah. I got to put myself in those shoes. And uh, I mean, it's worth trying, right? right. Uh, so as long as the stories are good, as long as it's not, hey, come see this hologram, right. I think there's, there'll be an audience. Right. Well, we're about to wrap it up, but let me just ask you this. How two things one and you can end with that uh with the second one what's next for you what are the big things that are coming that's what you're going to end with before you answer that curious you mentioned just a little while ago movie theater numbers um how do you think there's a debate that you got all the streaming stuff that's going on you know i've got a 70 inch or 68 inch or whatever it is 4k maybe even upgrading at some point to 8K television in my home, in my comfortable chair. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I've got all the foods and snacks and whatever that I need. Um, do you think 
in your experience, is the industry excited that the way we're going to experience most content is back in an AMC theater soon? Or do you think that, yeah, there will probably, we probably won't close down all the theaters, but they're going to be much fewer and the experience is going to be more uh, an at-home or on-device experience? I think... So right now there's 221 million Netflix subscribers. There's 130 Disney Plus subscribers. There's 74 million HBO Max subscribers. So streaming's here to stay. Right. Uh, also, I was looking at the, the box office of 2021, and there were some really excellent films that came out but didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, West Side Story made $33 million by Spielberg. In the Heights, a wonderful movie made thirty million. You had um, uh, King King Richard, which probably made twenty million. You had uh, Nightmare Alley making eight million. You had I keep saying you had you had, right, right. Uh, but wonderful like Last Duel made thirty million. These really excellent uh, movies made for adults. You like Licorice Pizza made fourteen million. No one's watching that. But then you watch Power of the Dog on Netflix. That's going to win Best Picture. That's the front runner right, right. now. So I do. Is I it do, because it's the type of story or is it because it's, you got to go to the theater to uh, experience it? Uh, what do you mean? Well, so what I mean is, for example, um, we went to see Spider-Man in the theater because I wanted that big Spider-Man theater experience. And that's the only place it was available. West Side Story, when, if and when I see it again for the, you know, whatever time, the, the latest version of it, I, I, I'll see it at home. But what, I guess my question is, do you think those movies that you're cited are because they didn't perform well because you had to go to a theater to see them versus the story just wasn't compelling to the audience they're trying to attract? The audience today, my kids today, are a device-enriched group of people as opposed to me and you, which is, this is something that came into our life later. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not the f- main feature, it's yeah. an enhancement. I guess what I was like a lot of these movies haven't done well. I mean, we, we do have to say it was a pandemic year and some of them were on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So people didn't go to the theaters, but I do think in this day and age, you're gonna have to put blockbusters in the theaters to keep the theaters open because The Last Duel cost $100 million and it, didn't, it lost the studio $50 million. Right. I think the days of movies like that with giant budgets are going to not happen. I think they're going to have to go to screaming, uh, uh, streaming. It's like Coda, uh, uh, what, A Child of Death Adults. But yeah, it's nominated for Best Picture. It went to Apple. Mm. So I think these smaller movies that won't make a dent at the theater are going to, they're going to go to streaming. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I would rather watch power than the dog in a the theater. than I would rather watch Spider-Man in the mm. theater because these movies build and you need to be absorbed in them. And I think they're art. I love MCU movies, but they're more about the spectacle. I could watch right. it at home and right. be fine with it. Right. But kids nowadays, I'm not a kid. I'm you right. know, old so, man. Yeah, I, I do think just looking at the box office receipts of the last few years, watching the type of movies that just aren't really making money like they used to. I mean, Kramer versus Kramer with adjusted for inflation made four hundred million. Right. That's never going to happen again. Forrest well, because Gump, that audience wanted yeah. and that so, kind of story. So now it's going to be dominated by you know we have twenty twenty two we have Uncharted, Doctor Strange, Star Wars, uh, these big films. And but that's fine because it keeps box offices alive. But I'm I'm noticing now like the Lost Daughter came out on Netflix. 
I think a lot of the the adult oriented movie because they said most people who go to theaters now are 34 and under. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of these movies that are geared towards adults, they're going to be putting them on streaming channels and they're going to thrive there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the way the industry is going. And I don't know if that answered your question, but I think theater is going to survive. Okay. I mean, theater survived the TV. Right. Right. Everyone thought theaters are going to collapse when the TV came out. Everyone thought the theaters were going to collapse when uh, streaming channels started. But if you look at box office receipts before the pandemic, there were seven movies a year making a billion dollars worldwide. Sure. Uh, you also have to look at the China markets, the, the, the worldwide markets. Those are huge, right. huge markets. But we didn't watch Star Wars. First of all, you couldn't, you know, these massive blockbusters. They weren't real, there was no mechanism to deliver it to yeah. your TV. Now you had a, to go to the theater. Mm-hmm. It's a 45-day window now people are moving towards. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I'm, selfishly, I want theaters to survive. Yeah. Because I'm a movie critic. Right. But I do want uh, – I think I think theaters – they've, they've rebounded. I mean, we talked about the numbers. It was up to $4.5 And that's with HBO Max mm-hmm. screen and Disney Plus streaming a lot of those movies. So mm-hmm. we probably could add another $2 billion onto that. Right. So I think I think the theaters are going to rebound. I I do. I think they're just going to have to adapt. They're going to have to make bars. They're going to have to make couches. They're going to have to show UFC fights. They're going to My mom has a theater near her house. Mm-hmm. They turned it into a cycling studio. There's an upscale restaurant. Wow. They like turned it into like it was a giant theater. They can't survive on that alone. So right. theaters just need to adapt. Right. Uh, and I think Marvel and all these comic book movies are, are the thing that's going to carry them forward. Horror movies like Candyman made 60 million. Right. Quiet Place made money. Right. Uh, Halloween made money. Halloween Kills was, was released on Peacock and theaters. It still made $100 million. Wow. There's audiences out there right. and they're coming back. Right. I just think a lot of adults who used to go to the theaters, I mean, right. looking at the numbers, it's not by the quality. I think right. 2021 had beautiful movies. But well, we waited to see Dune. Uh, until it was in our home just because of our schedule and whatever. Now I wish I had seen it in the theater. Yeah. I, I, it's such a beautiful, compelling movie. I, uh, that's another one of those where I read the book, read all the books. Um, the first movie, um, you know, it was like Lynch. the first Batman. You know, it really didn't, um, it didn't, I don't think it honored the, the type of book that it was. Um, I'm not disrespecting them. It, it just didn't resonate with us. The... Um, uh, it, I shouldn't say that. It had its moments. There were parts of it I really liked. But the second one Beautiful. was the only thing that I didn't like as I watched it with somebody that wasn't familiar with the book or the first movie. And things happened so quickly. They were a little um, they were a little disoriented. Like, wait, what? There's, yeah. a whole, there's a backstory you got to be familiar with to get the full flavor of it. But it was one of the most beautiful movies and so clean. I was It was so, so refreshing clean. to me to see... They didn't hold your hand a lot. Like, here's the movie, just moving on along. Join us for the ride. I thought it was great. You know, it's interesting that the first Dune gets kind of kicked for having the opening expository dialogue dump. Yeah. Uh, this one just throws you right in. And it moves at a clip. Right. And so, but you know what's interesting? I feel like if you pay attention to it, you kind of get it. They're going to this planet. These people don't really sure. like them. They're having this war. But it doesn't hold your hand. Right. Exactly right. And, and so we had to pause a couple times and I had to explain, well, here's what's going on. Yeah, so, yeah. Wait, 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 just what happened? Yeah. You know, why, why? But um, it was uh, wonderful. So what's uh, two, actually I said one more thing, but, and I know you got to go because you got responsibilities to take care of, but two quick things. One, in the last year, is there a fun factoid? We, ha- we started this tradition a couple years ago when you told me about the Tom Cruise running. And if people aren't familiar with that, then go find that in one of our previous clips. Um, about how, uh, well, anyway, so that was that fun factoid. Is there a factoid 
that you've done research for that you could share with us. Don't give us any spoilers that haven't come out yet. That's a really interesting, funny thing, or, or not funny, just a really interesting thing. And then what's, uh, what's next big for you guys over there at Movies, Films, and Flicks? So I wrote a Scream article that got over 10,000 upvotes, and I figured out that Scream movies that feature less screaming oh. are better. <laughs> so the less yelling, the better. The movie that features the most yelling, lowest scores of the wow. franchise. The few features the less amount, the fewest amount of screams, the best. Yeah. Makes the most money, best critical scores, audience scores, all that. That's funny. Yeah, so less screaming in the screen movies. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then what's next? Uh, so I write for a, a thing called The Film Theorist. Just as, you know, Brad, just this weekend alone, two videos that came out, they got over 5 million views. So I added that. I should be at over 100 million views by the end of the year with wow. my stuff for Film Theorists. Wow. I also work for Rotten Tomatoes. I do their Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong podcast. I mm. do the research for that. I do their Versus show. Then I also work for Fandom. I do their videos called By the Numbers. So I analyze all the Tom Cruise movies, all the Air Bud movies, and I put out fun videos for them, all the Witcher right. series. Right. Then movies, films, and flicks. You know, I'm still putting out a lot of reviews. I, uh, you know, I get all the press screenings, so I go to all those, keep my reviews out if I have time to write those. The right. podcast is, keep, is, is growing and growing. Right. So my plan for the MFF podcast is to you know, hit top five in the U.S. Um, I love and it. And just to keep growing. I mean, it's a, it's a fun show. But, yeah, just build my numbers, get more out there. I'm, I'm here to stay. So I, I, yeah, just grow the numbers and enjoy myself. So. Well, Mark, thanks for coming by the studio. Always yeah. fun. Third timer. Third timer. I can't wait um, till our 10th show. And then uh, um, I, I get a car for that. I get your car for that. <laughs> you don't want my car. <laughs> my car is a big F-250. And one of the things that I've learned is if you've got a big truck, everybody's your friend because everybody uh, wants you in your truck. So, yeah. uh Thanks for coming on the show. We'll make sure we have links to your podcast. I highly encourage it. It's one of my favorite to listen to. That um, I was about to say it's not tech-related, but you always talk about tech in there. There's all kinds of fun things, but it's such a fun, to your point, it's a positive uplifting, usually in films and things that I would not normally seek out. In fact, I'm I'm reconsidering watching, uh, um, you know, crazy AI sharks and go see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> see what's happening. Mark Hoffmeyer, thanks for joining us on the QTS Experience. Hey, thanks for having me. My great pleasure.